TED Audio Collective. Hey listeners, it's Dr. Shoshana, and this is TED Health. Today, we thought you'd enjoy listening to an episode from another podcast in the TED Audio Collective, TED Tech. Each week, host Sherelle Dorsey explores the ways technology is changing the way we work and live. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to TED Tech wherever you get your podcasts. It used to be that celebrities, movie stars, musicians, and politicians were the only types of people in the world subject to constant scrutiny. But then technology advanced. The personal cell phone was adopted. The first camera phone hit the market in 1999. And eventually, capturing one's own daily experiences became a habit of the crowd, moving past the gates of media experts and into the hands of the populace. We took it and ran, improving the cell phone experience, evolving what we had once used to call our mother to let her know we'd be home late for dinner, to a full-fledged computer used by 78% of the global population in 2020. That's nearly 8 billion people with a smartphone. Unwittingly, our desire to increase how and when we communicate quickly morphed into something we didn't see coming public curation of our personal lives for the sake of 24-7 engagement. While there are great things to note about this constant access to each other, I for one love a good TikTok cooking tutorial, it's impossible to speak of the benefits without acknowledging the dark side of constant access to seemingly perfect images and videos of ourselves and our peers. And long term, it's hard to say what the impact will be on society and the individual. In some ways, have we let ourselves fall asleep at the wheel? I'm Sherelle Dorsey, and this is TED Tech. In today's talk, actress Bryce Dallas Howard takes to the TED stage to help us rethink our obsession with living our public life so, well, publicly. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. The best place to see stars is at home with Prime Video. Get everything included with Prime, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, starring Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. Rent or buy hits like Mean Girls, starring Renee Rapp. Or add-on channels like Max for the HBO original Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. You've never seen so many stars in one place. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. 
Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. In 2016, I filmed an episode of Black Mirror called Nosedive. It was about a woman named Lacey who lives in a futuristic world where everyone rates your social interactions. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, little spoiler, I basically have a nervous breakdown trying really hard to get liked. For many, the episode felt a little too familiar. Until recently, only a small fraction of the human population lived their lives publicly. And... Well, we haven't entered the black mirror world yet. We've entered a new era. Everyone has access to a global audience. We all live in public. Some more willingly than others. There's pressure to share more of ourselves than we want. We often feel we have no other choice to be relevant, to fit in, to get ahead, to be trusted and liked, accepted and understood. This new compulsion toward self-exposure is possibly the biggest social experiment in history. We're making life-altering decisions about our personal boundaries with no guidance and no precedent. Fortunately, there is a blueprint. Anyone who's lived in the public eye as an athlete, a politician, or an entertainer has navigated a version of this. My dad has been a public figure since he was five years old, as an actor, a child actor, and and later as a director. And I've, I've been an actor since my early 20s. In fact, my family has been in the business of entertainment for three generations contending with how to handle putting ourselves out there for the last 70 years. My mom, Cheryl, never wanted to be in the public eye. She just happened to love a man who is. My mom met my dad wrong when they were 16. And by that point, she had flown solo in an airplane, joined an all-boys gun club, gotten in tons of fistfights, and helped her single dad raise her younger sisters. This is to say, my mom was a passionate, busy young person who initially ignored the attention of the famous boy in her high school. It was the early 70s, and my dad was known for playing Opie in The Andy Griffith Show, and he'd soon film a pilot for a new show called Happy Days. Much of this was lost on my mom. The only thing she watched on TV was Star Trek. (laughs) It's true. After they finally joined forces, after he actually proposed three times and had kids, my mom transformed into a full-on warrior woman ready to protect. But it wasn't until 
I was given a movie script at preschool as a way to get it to my dad that my mom realized his visibility was extending to the entire family and that she would need to prepare us for something she herself had never experienced, growing up in the public eye. And this entailed some extreme parenting tactics. First, no coddling, like ever. As a kid, I was terrified of snakes. So my mom got me a pet snake. When I blanked at my first piano recital and ran off stage crying, my mom insisted I stay and support my peers. Years later, when my son grimaced at a chipmunk carcass our cat had left in the driveway, Cheryl made him clean up the remains. My mom wanted to toughen us up so we'd have more courage and less fear when dealing with uncomfortable situations. So that meant zero coddling. Put your comfort away, she'd preach. Any challenge that arose was an opportunity to find your sea legs. Next up, confidence comes from character, not our looks. Cheryl was a giant buzzkill. When she noticed me glancing in the mirror as a kid, she decided to nip that in the bud immediately by covering up all the mirrors in the house. (laughs) A loving compliment was, you have wonderful character, not you are beautiful. Oh, and character was built by doing chores. When I wasn't mucking out the goat barn, I was shearing sheep, changing tires, scrubbing toilets, volunteering, shoveling snow. Cheryl believed that hard work, particularly in service of others, breeds confidence, a trait we need more and more of when exposing ourselves to any kind of public attention. But perhaps the most important lesson was a private life makes a public life worth living. Cheryl saw that while fame came with many blessings, there was an impact and a potential cost to living your life in public. And so more than anything, she, like my grandparents before her, emphasized the value of privacy. Because cultivating a private life is precious. It's sacred. Its value is inherent in what you don't share, what you withhold, and for whom. The world is now one big, small town. But within that virtual town square, there are tiers of relationships, degrees of intimacy, and everyone deserves a different amount of you, a different side. Now, where those boundaries lie, is up to you. But in order to make those decisions, we must all be our own Cheryl, our own protectors. Because it's tempting to think that the more I share, the more ways you have to connect with me. But there's a specialness in knowing that whatever I share with my husband or my kids or my best friend is just for them and no one else. 
without that inner circle, we're left with shallowness and a void. We're known, but never truly known, even to ourselves. Living in public asks us to be brave and bold, but preserving a private life empowers us to take those chances. So when my 15-year-old son started a YouTube channel and my 10-year-old daughter asked to join TikTok, I asked myself, what would Cheryl do? As much as I want to protect my kids, I know encouraging them to opt out is not the answer. So I don't want my kids in the digital fray until they know who they are. But you develop your sense of self by participating in the world. So I try to help them discover themselves through these technologies, not despite them. And I give myself that same protection and motherly advice by honoring two main principles. The two-day delay. So whatever I'm experiencing, I, I try to wait 48 hours before posting and sharing. Because that way I can be present in private with the people I love before calculating how I'm going to publicly position it. And post with purpose. Before I share, I ask myself, why? What's the purpose? And most importantly, how does it serve the people I love? The dangers and opportunities of living a life in public existed, honestly, way longer before any of this. But it's important to know what my family knew then and knows now, that your true value is measured by the richness of your private life, the piece of you that only a select few, or perhaps only you, has access to. Because the legacy we create in private is as powerful and lasting as any public accolade, perhaps even more so. Thank you so much. Dallas Howard makes great points here about how a private life makes a public life worth living. I think of the dark side of social media, the oversharing of information, and the lack of privacy that can be very scary. I want to forewarn that I'm going to mention potentially triggering topics here related to violence and death. So if that's not for you today, maybe choose another episode or we'll just see you next week. In 2021, social media influencer Janae Gagnier was killed by what her family believed to be an obsessed follower, a person who had used the information that Gagnier had innocently shared on Instagram to determine her location and cause harm. And remember in 2016, when the Cambridge Analytica scandal rocked Facebook in the world? Suddenly, the invitingly frictionless experience of using third-party apps on social media became a personal privacy risk and even a threat to national security. As Dallas Howard pointed out, these examples raise serious questions about privacy in the age of social media questions that I'm sure each and every one of us grapples with on a daily basis. But in spite of these very real concerns, I can't help but think Dallas Howard's experience of overexposure on social media is unique and doesn't account for some of the incredible opportunities that those same platforms afford us. 
To recall a point made on a previous episode by Arthi Krishnan, let's not be anti-tech. Let's be anti-dumb tech. I mean, without these same tools, we would not have had the video footage of George Floyd being murdered by a police officer in 2020. We would not know the extent of the Flint and Jackson, Mississippi water crises. We would not have everyday citizens reporting on their communities and holding power and leadership to account. Therapists like Nedra Glover Tawab and Therapy Jeff are using TikTok to open more discussions around healthy relationships, parenting, and marriage. Subcultures of communities that were disregarded due to disabilities or income or race or gender or sexual orientation are now educating and informing the masses on their experiences. Our online learning takes place first from each other. Digital communities are the new public square. And thanks to more tools rolling out to restrict visibility and develop private digital communities, online spaces are being retooled to solve for too much public access. And some users are taking advantage of more secure offerings, like Discord, where groups can continue to message and interact, just like on Facebook, but now with the added benefit of standard encryption. So maybe one day soon, we'll be able to reap the benefits of this new public square with added privacy controls and without the fear of oversaturation. TED Tech is part of the TED Audio Collective. This episode was produced by Isabel Carter, who also wrote it with me, Sherelle Dorsey. Our editor is Sammy Case, and the show is fact-checked by Matias Salas. Special thanks to Farah DeGrunge for her support as a project manager. I'm Sherelle Dorsey. Let's keep digging into the future. Join me next week for more.